The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Along with Coach Wade and owner Michael Alter, <laughs> you fought hard and rose to the top of the league, and you brought your city to new heights. That's yeah. what leadership looks like. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, I have... Uh, oh, the sky. Yes, champions. My beloved Bulls will be following in their wake, ladies and gentlemen. Plenty of time, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, to jump aboard that Bulls bandwagon. Plenty of room on the Bulls bandwagon. Oh, the Come Bull- on, Chicago. The Bulls bandwagon is strong. I saw friends from downstate posting that they went to the Bulls game, like drove to Chicago to the Bulls. Whoa, okay. The Bulls are doing Whoa. something. Bulls are doing something. Hey, Chicago, let me just take this moment. If you're not on that Bulls bandwagon now, you're missing out because they're exciting, they're fun, the place is rocking, and we have DeMarvelous DeRozan, okay, who is named for, yes, DeMarvelous Dennis. Oh, that's great. All right, everybody, who's here for the Chicago Sky? Let's hear it for our WNBA champion team. With a history of Cinderella stories and underdog champion. All right, that's it. Okay. On to today's Ben Jarofsky show. It's brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pot to smoke, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A. V is in victory. S-K-Y. It is Thursday, December 30th. And pre-recorded from my apartment and his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, I am reaching out to him as we speak. It's the one, it's the only, Mr. Mark Sims. The email has been sent, and now your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this crazy COVID Thursday, and here's why. Because I'm crazy, and COVID is out there. That's why. By the way, I'm feeling, uh, Stephen, I I feel like it. Did you hear that? What's his name? Steven Spielberg. What? Spielberg. No. You know, the guy, the sports guy, Steven. Oh, Stephen A. Smith? Yeah, Smith. How could I not remember Smith? Well, that's a sure sign. Dementia's kicking in. Come on, Max Kellerman. (laughs) No. (laughs) That's... Come on, Max Kellerman. I myself channeling him. I love that guy. I know. Oh, that's sports. A lot of sports stuff today. I'll tell you why. 
go back to where I was before I missed. I forgot the name of a guy named Smith. Whoa, if that's not a warning signal, I don't know what it is. Well, maybe that middle initial there uh, threw you off. Uh, the yeah, first K, letter in the right? alphabet, A. It, oh, it's A. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Whoa, I'm writing it down. So I, in case it comes up again today, Stephen A. Smith. Anyway, I love Stephen A. Smith. Anyway, forget that. Here's the point. In the middle of COVID outbreak that the newspapers are warning me about, I mean, every paper, front page, it's like, be scared, Ben, be very scared. Here, uh, here's the front page in the New York Times, city struggling to keep going as virus spikes. Here's the front page in the Chicago Tribune, new cases in nation hit record daily level. And here's the headline in the front page of my beloved bright one, the Chicago Sun-Times, light foot, COVID surge won't stop Chicago. Oh, come on, D. I just kind of laugh at that one. I was just like randomly picking headlines. Lori Lightfoot, COVID surge won't stop Chicago's New Year's Eve plans. No, we're in the middle of COVID. Let's go out and get together and watch fireworks. Anyway, everywhere I go, people are talking COVID, 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 COVID. So what did I do last night? I went to the Chicago Bulls game. Dennis told me I was crazy, by the way. He goes, what, do you want to get no, COVID? I didn't say you were crazy. <laughs> well, kind of. I, I mentioned that, you know, you went to the airport and, you know, you kind of, you know, we're out there risking it a little <laughs> bit and you're kind of doubling down now going to a I basketball know. game. I know. And and you and I put it in my head. My kids were like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? I went with my dear friend, uh, Cap. I see you, Cap. Mark Sims has joined us, ladies and gentlemen. Mark Sims has joined us. Anyway. Oh. Uh, I uh, went to the uh, the Bulls game with my dear friend Cap. Shout out to Cap. Love you very much. And uh, he's not afraid of COVID. No, no, no. But uh, all these people put this in my head. I'm like, why am I doing this? And it's because at the start of the season, uh, my friends, shout out Norm. I see you, Norm. Uh, and Timmy, shout out, Timmy. I see you, Timmy. We decided to get Bulls season tickets, get into a Bulls season ticket package. Our beloved, we just had a feeling, to quote the Beatles, uh, that this was going to be a great year for the Bulls. We bought these tickets, and uh, we were, like, really confident because, you know, we had our – we were vaccinated, and we are going to get our boosters. And, and now they come up with a variant that apparently is can duck and dodge the vaccine. <laughs> So everybody's getting COVID. The papers are filled with stories about it. And there I was with 20,000 other people, ladies and gentlemen. 20,000 people at the United Center last night to watch my beloved Bulls play. And they're not, I don't think, D, they were even worried. I think the only guy out of that 20,000 worried about COVID was me. The guy behind me wasn't even wearing a mask. He was like eating a hot dog and well, talking about, he was talking about all the players for the Atlanta Hawks who are not playing because they have COVID. Um, sir, I see the correlation between masklessness and Atlanta Hawks without COVID. We've been talking about this all year, and I'm sure it's going to come up in tomorrow's segment. We're taping tomorrow, as uh, Dr. D said, uh, the top 10 stories of the year. I can't wait. By the way, we're not, no pre-show prep, total improv on this. I have no idea what Dennis is cooking up, but I know it's going to be a tasty dish. <laughs> and um, But I'm sure there's going to be a little mixed message broth uh, in it. Yes, Lightfoot COVID surge won't Chica stop Chicago's New Year's plans. And there I was, just like Lori Lightfoot's having a big party with fireworks for the news. I'm no better than Lori Lightfoot. There I was at the Bulls game, my beloved Bulls. And then... 
after that, D, I'm not really I'm not proud to say what we did. Let's, let's go get a pizza. I'm not making this up. So we uh, tripling we down. You <laughs> were tripling down. Drove over to our favorite pizza place, uh, Cap and myself. And by the way, we're wearing our masks, just so you know. Uh, and the Bulls were giving out masks, D. Here, I'll show you a picture of me and my Bulls mask. Hold on, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to show you a picture of me and my Bulls mask. Dennis and uh, Mark will see it. Hold on, hold on. Wait, how come I can't? Ah, here we go. Uh, there we go. Da, da, da. Oh, this and is excellent. Here we go. Great. Here we go. Look at that. Oh. Huh? <laughs> That's me and my Bulls mask. There we go. They gave out Bulls masks last night. So there I was wearing my mask. We go into this pizza place, uh, and my wife calls me up. She goes, what are you doing? And then they told us that there were so many cases of COVID in the kitchen. They were down to two, two people in the kitchen. They usually have eight or nine. And so it would probably take two and a half hours for the pizza to be prepared. So I said, forget it. But that's the thing, man. We're struggling with this thing. Like, I, I, I'm with you out there, folks. It's like I got, I'm half in and half out. You know what I mean? I want to continue my life. My wife wants to go see West Side Story really bad, you know? Uh, I want to go to my Bulls games. I want to go with my friend out for pizza. I want to go Monday night bowling. And yet the papers are filled with these stories. I'm half in, half out. Very scared. But last night, yeah, D. I went out 20,000 people. Wow. I'm telling you, man, right now they t- they're trying to get us scared, but I think most people in this country, I've said this all along, are kind of like, nah, eh, I'm, not, I'm not afraid of COVID. I'm going out anyway. 20,000 people at the, at the stadium. And I got to tell you, I would say 10% of them weren't masked. One guy who wasn't there, but wears a mask wherever he goes, is my next guest. Mark P, not T, P. <laughs> He's... He's putting on his mask, ladies and gentlemen. Mark P. Sims, host of the Mark Sims Show, as I always say when he comes on. In the old days, I used to go on his show. Now he comes on mine. What an honor it is to bring back my my old friend. 20 years I've known this guy. That's how long ago it was, Mark Sims, when I wrote that first article. About he puts, he's putting his mask on. Welcome back, Connor. Welcome back to the show. Can you hear me now, Ben? Can you hear yeah. me now? How does yes. it sound? It sounds great. You sound yeah. awesome, and you look good, too. It's fine. Uh, all right. You should, t- few- you should tell the people we did 20 minutes, <laughs> <laughs> which is my fault. But, uh, you know, Genesis, we- Genesis told me, you old man. But, no, it's Genesis' birthday, he said, very soon, right? And so he reminded me, I'm 20, uh, 21 years, I think, 21 years older than Dennis. And so he said, old man, you need to get a new computer. Dump that freaking old computer, and I think he's going to, okay, I should get a computer. That works. Uh, yes, Dennis uh, is right. You should dump the computer. And when you win the lottery, by the way, before while we were off, ladies, a little technical. Oh, no, 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 don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say that because you're going to hold me to it. I have it on good word. If you win that billion-dollar lottery, he's going to fund my show. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, well, you know, I, I, but I, all jokes are said, I, 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 if I won the four hundred million dollar lottery, I probably would because you've been so good to me, Ben. Thank you. And would it take that much if you win four hundred million dollars? Give half to your wife. That's two hundred million. You got right. two hundred million dollars. You right. give a million to me and Dennis. We will have the greatest show in the world. Now, right? but, now, now Dennis, dollars. Dennis, when you get your million, you're going to leave Ben with your million. <laughs> no, he's not. Okay, all right. <laughs> And I will, one of the first things I'll do, 
I will buy uh, microphones for all my regulars. Mark Sims will get a microphone. Monroe right. Anderson will get a microphone. Right. Ramana Hussein will get a microphone. David Ferris will get all my regulars. There's like 10 of you out there. You're going to get microphones. No, right. I care about the lottery because it's my only hope, Ben. Yeah. Okay. Because, I mean, I, I'm in my last year of my 50s. And I'm truly trying to figure out what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Well, <laughs> one thing you can do if you win that lottery with the rest of your life is fund my show. All right, let's move on to business. Uh, when I Before the show, before we had our technical difficulties, uh, you said that uh, you wanted to spend the time uh, to start, start off the show talking about uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot and her response to crime in Chicago as we head out of what's been a very violent uh, 2021 year. Although I have to tell you, and I say this every time we discuss crime in the city of Chicago, Chicago is a very violent city. I'm not, I'm not trying to cover up for the crime. I'm just saying, Mark, you and I have lived in the city of Chicago. Since, I've lived there since 81. You were, you've, I don't think you've ever lived anywhere else but the city of 1962. Chicago. 1962, 1962. Wow. So just think about it. It's a very violent, it's a very violent city. And it's just like, this is just like a generic thing with Chicago. And Mark, I got to tell you this. So I went to Los Angeles to visit my kids and I come back to Chicago and I'm in a cab coming home from O'Hare. And I asked the cab driver, uh, what's going on in Chicago? And he goes, same old Chicago. Same old violent Chicago. That's what the cab driver said to me, Mark. And so that's the city we live in. And so it seems like for some reason there's, oh, I know there, there's a spike this year. So that's uh, in the headlines. And it's also become a very, uh, it's a wedge issue, a political wedge issue. Nobody really knows what to do. And so as such, Mark, I'm going to share this with you. Totally unprepared. I picked this up while I was looking at uh, my cell phone while you and Dennis were fixing uh, the sound. Are you ready for this, Mark? Ready? Yes. Yes. All right. So uh, this is uh, a headline from the New York Post, which is a conservative newspaper, right-wing newspaper run by uh, Murdoch. Uh, Quote, "Uh, you're a disgrace. Chicago 911 dispatcher slams mayor over surge in crime. And this is an article uh, about dispatcher Keith Thornton. Uh, who went on Fox and Friends, which, of course, is a conservative show, Fox TV, Fox and Friends. So the New York Post is writing it up. And here's the, the lead. A Chicago police 9-11 dispatcher is slamming second city mayor. Second city. <laughs> We're the third city. New York Post. L.A.'s bigger than us. Anyway, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot over the city's out-of-control crime wave, calling her, quote, a disgrace for mishandling the crisis. Dispatcher Keith Thornton, who went on who went off on a viral online rant last week, said on Fox and Friends Tuesday that Lightfoot had turned Chicago into a, quote, death zone by failing to back cops, adding, quote, the blood is on her hands. It's out of control, and the citizens of Chicago deserve to know that what's being done behind closed doors or what's being told to them is all false, Thornton said. Your thoughts on that? Mark Sims. Um, I don't know, Mr. Thornton. I don't know how long he's lived in Chicago. Is he a lifer? But let me say something you don't say on Inside Edition. He's on some of these other shows. I don't know the guy. He's probably a really nice guy. A lot of the crime in Chicago, I'm talking about black Chicago, African-American Chicago, is due to our self-hatred. People don't want to talk about, you know, that's the dirty laundry, all that kind of stuff. And because I, I may talk about me moving to France, I'm gonna, it's in conjunction with the crime. We'll get to that later on. <laughs> but the main thing is that we were slaves. 
Gays, Negroes, colors, blacks, now African-Americans, where we call something else. So just America's another 30 years, I presume. And so we are a confused people. That's why we have the murders. What, and in Chicago, we have 800 murders this year so far. You're probably 500, I'm guessing. 500 is probably African-Americans, if not 600. The main thing is because of self-hatred. That self-hatred manifests itself in, in um, of course, uh, murder. People wanted to move away from black folks or move away from each other. We don't work each other. We don't help each other as we as we should. You go in a lot of businesses. We have, you know, I'm not I'm not against the Chinese restaurants in our neighborhood. There's Chinese restaurants. There's Arab restaurants. There's all kind of little stores, Korean dolls, hair places, and all that kind of stuff. Everybody's making money off of us. We don't spend money with each other as we should. There's an article I have to read, Ben, and please stop me for going up far afield and going crazy here, because that's what I do. Go get discursive and go crazy. Uh, your boy, Mick Dumkey. And I can't pronounce the gentleman's name. I had him on my show. <laughs> Haru. I think that's his first name. I can't say his name correctly. Please forgive me. That's why I'm not a real broadcaster, just a, a, a two-bit podcaster. But Mick Dumkey wrote an article in ProPublica about the GN Bank. The GN Bank is like the only black-owned bank in the city of Chicago. Um, uh, and so I'm familiar with the bank. Uh, but, but the point is, in fact, I was there this morning, long story. <laughs> I was there this morning. The, but the, the point is that it's the only black owned bank that's owned by the Ghanaians, people from Ghana. I'm not against the brothers from Ghana buying out Illinois Service Federal, the old traditional black owned bank that was there forever, just like the forties or something. And they bought the bank and I'm not against them now. And so I was there this morning, but their bank has troubles. And because most black people do not put their money in a black owned bank. They can have their, uh, their, their money in other banks. Nothing wrong with that, but just even a part of symbolism and pride with all the black churches, all the way, it's a million black folks, I don't know, in, in, in the metropolitan area, I'm guessing, and it's going down every day, but we you know, at least uh, 700,000, whatever. We don't have a strong black bank. We don't have a lot of things because of integration, times change, I get this, but we don't like each other. We don't trust each other. People like me, they say, I don't like Mark. He's one of the high yellow Negroes I cannot trust. You can't trust a Negro like that. We got it bad. And this is why we have the murders. This is why I have, you go all over Chicago, the only messed up neighborhoods, not all the black neighborhoods are messed up. Most of us live in really nice neighborhoods. But some of the most messed up neighborhoods Chicago is where black people live. And it's not all, yes, racism and white supremacy is the, is the root of our problems. I get it. But we don't like each other. We, I'm going to say we don't trust each other to the point where we can, yes, we can build a mega church. We can build a church. When it comes to make, building businesses where our money circulates in our community three or four or five times before it leaves the com community, we don't do that because of lack of distrust because we've been brainwashed. We're brainwashed slaves and blah, 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 blah. I can go on forever. So when it got, you don't blame Lori Lightfoot for the crime. You really put the onus on each other. And that's how you could, you have to, you, we can stop the, the crime is going to go down. It's as fewer black boys, especially being raised in the city of Chicago. My theory is that the crime is going to go down. Okay. But you can really make it, but you, but this is my thing about doing crime. I just watched Lori Lightfoot and you can stop me, man. Please stop me. I was watching Lori life in a minute ago before we went on the air and, and her her address like a 50 minute address about crime or something she was great but one thing she did she talked about to talked about the uh the i had notes but where they are i talked about the uh, chicago police department the cdp or something right the Pro chicago police department but she didn't talk about the cps almost every criminal i guess in the city of chicago black ones anybody else probably too went to the chicago public schools 
That system has to change. It has to provide a more practical education. So when you come out of high school, you're not going to be a neighborhood criminal because you have a skill. You have an education. And this is important because we people have been, been around for a while. You saw the deindustrialization of America. Okay, you saw that. You saw the, the computers and robots and algorithms. You saw that. Now this AI is already here. Artificial intelligence. It's coming. And, it, and it's here already. It's going to change everything. It's changing things right now. So you got to almost uh, say, what are you being educated for, for the people like me? I've been working, working class person all, I mean, now all my life, working class when I'm working, I've been working 40 years, right? For, I had one year of, of uh, retirement, which was called unemployment because of the pandemic, which is beautiful. But the point is that you're training people for what? Because there's not enough good jobs now. And you wonder why it's crime in Oak Brook or in downtown Chicago or River North or Streeterville. You, there's not enough good jobs now. When you bring the AI, AI in, there's still not a good job. I'm glad Lori Lightfoot is starting this, uh, uh, this uh, what you call it, uh, basic income stuff, basic income, because there's just not enough jobs. And you got to figure out what are people going to do? Because you got robots, you got AI. They don't need people like me who don't have any skill in education. And the only reason why I don't commit crime because I have wonderful middle class parents who took sent me to Sunday school, and that's why I don't commit crime now. All right. Wow. Uh, I took notes on what you said. It was a, a, a great riff, and I want to break it down point by point. We'll start with the first point that you made: uh, black self hatred leads to crime. Hell okay. yeah. Uh, go into a little uh, explanation about that. Well, like all groups, we know we have class stratification like all groups, right? We, we understand all groups have that, right? I, I get it. But we have it just a little bit more. We really do, right? So like, so the poor have been, the, 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 okay, the underclass black folks have been abandoned by everybody else, which is understandable because my theory about stopping the crime is like, you ever see a restaurant a rescue or bar rescue, those kind of shows? I love using this analogy. What happens? The bar rescue guy comes in and says, your bar sucks. I'm an expert. I'm going to turn this around. And the owners of the bar, they fight and they argue. It's all staged. We know it's all shtick. But they fight. And then at the end of the show, they say, wow, you transformed things. You brought me a new way of thinking. I can go on and my bar is not going to go down the drain. I, things are better now. I'm glad you came. When you try to, to, to stop the crime, you have to transform the lives of people. You have to present new habits. And that's really hard. You almost have to change identities because you're an environment. Let's say, man, when's the last time you've been in Inglewood? You know, anybody, I'm talking about not you been, anybody listening. Roll through parts of Inglewood, which is most of Inglewood, or parts of Roseland. Would you want to raise your children there? And if they were there, that's that environment is not conducive for anything healthy. You, you can raise your children there, but they can't roll around in the hood. They got to stay in the house. I raised my children. I'm technically Auburn Gresham, Washington Heights. I, my children stayed in the house. They mad at me for raising them like that, but I had to. I had to. And, and so, and, and the perfect example, not, and I say this all the time, and it's, it's an extreme case. And it's a, my, I, I'm going to have to finish the story. I feel so much for uh, the Holt family. Uh, Ms. Holt is in charge of the uh, Chicago Police Department. I don't know if the husband is still retired, still with the Chicago Police Department. They had one son who went to junior high school that was shot and killed on the bus. Uh, on a third street bus. 
and they they had enough money not to say anything bad about them. they had enough money money so they didn't have to send their ch- child to Jewish high school and people like me they took their children everywhere in their cars they did not want if we were going to stay in the city we had to keep our children from that underclass best we can which is still hard so that's why a lot of people move i think the statistic i don't know what it is statistic once there's a murder in chicago about 10 people leave or something People, they know you don't. We don't have to live in this town anymore. Some people w- been wanting us to move for the past forty years. We've been taking so long to move. We haven't got the hint, but now we can because all those whites, those suburbs that used to be all white when I was a child, a teenager, they're all black now. Almost all black. Well, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So we don't have to live in the city of Chicago. Uh, and then you, most and most black people, most African Americans, like all people, who don't want to live in a cold weather city. Although global warming has been good to us, the winters are not as bad as they used to be in here back in the day. You know that, Ben. But the point is that people say, "I'd rather live in Georgia. I'd rather live in Texas, where it's warm most of the year. It's only cold for like a month. You know what I'm saying? It's 75 degrees day in, in, in Dallas, I think today in Dallas, right? So, but we, but the point is that we're not. African-Americans, we're not going to get there. You know, we, we, we're funny people, but we're, we're never going to find, we're never going to have the sense of uplifting the race as it was when I was a kid in 1975. We're not going to get back to that. We can't. But the point is that you have to help that, though, that lower class and say, I know you're lower class. The likelihood you're going to get up to the higher class is almost slim and none because the social mobility rate is at an all-time low. you got to tell people the cold, hard truth that's going to hurt. But you could still have a great productive life in this great country, although you like most Americans, you're never gonna make a hundred grand a year. Most people don't make that kind of money. So, so, so saying things that need to be said are going to be painful. But I think that's the only way, the long term way, to make things better. And 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 it's gonna be painful. But you can do this. Lori Lightfoot can't do it because if you say what really needs to be said, you won't be reelected. Yeah. You got to blow smoke up people's ass and whisper sweet nothings in their ear. And then, you know, life goes on. I'm sorry well, for getting uh, crazy. Um, wow, that was a powerful riff. Take a drink of water as I move on to the second point that I wrote down. Uh, by the way, self-hatred, it, it, I'll just, it's more than a black thing. I love the term self-hating Jew. Yeah, <laughs> I love that Jew. term. Yeah, I love I, it. I, I mean, there's a lot of Jewish people filled with self-hate. There's a lot of gay people filled with self-hate. Self-hate is a very powerful force of negativity in the world and the universe. I don't know how to deal with it. I mean, there's that song that Whitney Houston sing, The Greatest Love of All, you know, which, of course, as you know, comes from uh, the Muhammad Ali movie. I knew you knew that. But you and, know, George uh, Benson sang it first, and I think a white person or a white woman, white man, it was some white folks who actually wrote that song. Uh, yes, but I give you credit for knowing it was George Benson and the name. And he sang it in the Muhammad Ali movie. Yeah. Uh, the, the greatest, which featured Muhammad Ali playing Muhammad Ali. May have been one of the worst movies of the 1970s, <laughs> and yet I've seen it twice. Uh, so <laughs> says a lot about me. Got a lot of weirdness. But self-hatred is a very powerful force of negativity. I don't know. And, and clearly, uh, you know, I, I do I on a tangent with it, a tangent with it, a tangent. But last night at the Bulls game, they uh, before the show, I got there real early with my buddy Cap. We always get early so we can see the guys shooting around. We love getting to the games early. And they had this message that came on the big overhead screen, uh, Mark, which uh, it was from a, a therapist of some sorts, a woman. Uh, I don't know if she was a psychiatrist, whatever, but she talked about uh, giving uh, mental health counseling to the Bulls. 
providing therapy to the bulls. And several of the bulls came on in this little video to talk about how important it was in their life. And I was like, oh, my God. I can't, it's too bad this message is being limited to like the handful of people who show up early obsessively to watch the Bulls. But the need for therapy just to talk it out is so, it's just so abundantly obvious to anybody who's ever been through therapy. And I've been through therapy and all of us struggle with our demons and their issues. And self hatred is a very powerful force. You're absolutely correct. And in terms of the African-American community, the black community here, uh, not just in Chicago, but America, yes, Mark Sims used to read. You had this book that you wrote way back when. Oh, you, you can find it's, it's, I put the whole book on a blog. Just type in Willie Lynch. Yes. African-Americans have so many issues by Mark Sims, M-A-R-C-S-I-M-S. It pops right. It's a blog. Yeah, Read it. well, it's, it's just, I remember it's like, you, you, you see how I talk. I, I write the way I talk. It's all over the freaking highway. <laughs> and and it, it's a very powerful book. But oh, it's all geez, about uh, it, uh, black self-hate. Yeah. And Mark, so Mark's Mark, I can give you credit. At least you've been consistent since I've known you, which is this entire century, by the way. Uh, and, and you've been talking about this. And I don't see it talked about anywhere by the leaders of the city of Chicago. Because, because it's not polite. It's painful. We don't want to air our dirty laundry. But we, and that's why, I mean, Lori Lightfoot gets it. She came to this town for it from Ohio, the University of Michigan. And, but she didn't move on the South Side. She went to, she went to University of Chicago, I think, for law, right? But she said, oh, hell no, I can't live on the South Side. <laughs> I can't move somewhere. I know, maybe she, she may move on the South Side for a while. I don't know all Lori Lightfoot. She's, she seems like a really nice person. But, but I think Lori Lightfoot gets it because you have to have a long-term plan. I, I, I always say one of the long-term plans to reduce crime in Chicago is to encourage low-income black people to move. Show them brochures of Atlanta, Georgia, and, and, and I mean, serious. That's what I, I have. I mean, let move. I, people are like, oh, I had. I was talking to the other day. Oh, he was from the West Side. I'm tired of Chicago. So bad. I said, it's okay, man. Your your grandmama, granddaddy, or somebody moved here 40, 50 years ago, and and it's okay. All right. So that's not my problem. What I always talk about is that what type of Negroes we're going to be, whether we're in the South or the North. And if, if the population of Chicago goes down to like a, just a few hundred thousand or even a hundred thousand over the next 50 years, will we have a thriving African American? We won't be African Americans probably then, but where are we going to call ourselves back then in the future? We have a thriving African American community, no matter how, what's the size. But that has, it's like when you talk about global climate change, you're talking about 40, 50 years, 100 years from now. And that's the same with uh, uh, black folks stopping crime. It, it, it's, well, you could see dramatic change in like five years, if you ask me, and in one year if you really do, if you really do it. Okay. But you always talk about the succeeding generations and making life better for succeeding generations. That's, that's what it's always. See, my, I talk about black self hate because I, raised, I was raised in segregated Chicago. All black folks, all black schools. I had one white kid in my old grammar school. I think was Andrew. I think it's second grade. Before I knew Andrew was gone, right? <laughs> so the point is that. So I, well, I didn't. I never. When I, I never really see racism. I always saw black self hate. I have it. I have. A, I have the Willie Lynch syndrome. I have black self hate. I got it. It's tough. It's hard, and it's harder for the even the young black sisters, the darker skinned black sisters. If they, if you're a dark skinned black sister, it's really hard for you to be married. I want to have a date. I mean, you can get one, but it's much harder because that dark-skinned black woman, especially, is not lauded and loved in this community. 
the white woman is. When I was a kid, all I saw white women on TV. And, <laughs> and if I had gone to college, I'd have married or dated white women because that's all I saw growing up. You know, what's that woman? Woman Diana Ridd, she just passed away, right? Yeah. Diana Ridd, uh, she was on uh, the Avengers when I was a kid. It was in black and white, y'all. The first Avengers, the first few shows was on black and white. Diana Rigg, yeah. Yeah, Diana Rigg. The, the white woman, yeah. yeah. She was fabulous, yeah. All right, time out. <laughs> Let's see how good your memory is. First black woman you ever saw on TV was? You know what? I drove uh, Diane Carroll when I was a yeah, member there driver. You go. That, J- Diane Carroll was was fabulous. Yeah. It was a big deal, of course. This is like a cliche, but it's so true. When uh, she and Julia his old TV show NBC, Julia was on, and it was huge when we were kids. Of course, uh, then of course Bill Cosby and I spy. And but the point is that, and I, but I remember like T- Teresa Graves. It was I think it was Get Christy Love, Teresa Graves. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, you know what I'm saying. But it, so you get to Pam Grier in the movies. But the point is that. Uh, the white woman is the standard of beauty. Right now, 70%, roughly 70% of black women are not married. Yes, they could have a boyfriend, they could be widowed, but 70% of black women are not married. It's really tough. For a black woman, young sister is 20 years old. Where did you come old. up with that? I got that from Marketplace, Marketplace Radio. I'll send it to you. Marketplace All right, Radio. Okay. I'll send, I'll send 70%? It to you. Yes. Black women above the age, what, 21? Is, I mean, well, I just, remember, you, you, got, you, got sing, you got single, divorced, and, and widowed. You know, you just do the math, Ben. Come on, right? Okay. Uh, <laughs> probably 40% of white women are probably single. I'm not, I'm not married, if you will. I just, I just want to know where you got the number. It's just I put, like, it, right, out of I put it right number. out of my ass, Ben. You know where I got it from. <laughs> Deep in my ass. Okay. We went on a tangent when I raised the yeah. uh, Diane Carroll question. But, yeah, go uh, ahead, go ahead, Diane Carroll. She, uh, but by the way, I, I talked to her like I'm talking to you. It was just fabulous. She came in for, I told you this before, told you story before, she came in for uh, John Johnson's funeral. Just picked up her mom's hair right on the curve. She was just absolutely fabulous. Um, all right, man, John Johnson, that reminds me of uh, a conversation I had with Monroe. We'll get to it, and this will be the lead. So... You also said something about uh, segregation. You alluded to, we were talking about uh, Mick Dumkey's article in ProPublica about the Black-Owned Bank, which is af- uh, actually owned by an uh, uh, African family right. that lives in Chicago, which is uh, pointing that out. And um, uh, just the absence of financial institutions that are owned by black people. And uh, it's so... We live in a capitalist country. I mean, I know I'm a lefty. I believe in the New Deal and Bernie Sanders de- uh, type of democratic programs. But the reality is we live in a cold-hearted capitalist country where we revere wealth. We revere the wealthiest people. Uh, and we allow our government to be largely controlled by the wealthiest people. And it's so telling that in a country that in which capitalism is king... Uh, and we revere the wealthy people that black people don't have one wait, don't have one black owned thriving bank in the city of Chicago. That is such a telling. Uh, but that's our fault, Ben. That's our fault. You know that that's our fault, man. I don't I don't I disagree with you on that point. And, and I, I, I vehemently disagree with you. We are we are controlled by society and forces that are greater than us. All of us are, not just black people, all of us. And uh, some of it, the, the notion that we completely control and chart our future and, and, and our life uh, is an illusion. 
it's it's preached to us by people who want to take money uh, by telling us if you follow what I tell you to do, you too will be successful like me. Just give me the money and I'll tell you what to do. Okay, so everybody in the universe got a. I just read a story in the paper today, the New York Times, about a tax scam, a tax dodge in which wealthy people follow me. This, uh, Mark, and I don't know if any of them are black. Those are white people. A tax dodge where if you get if you invest in a startup company in the early stages, this is to encourage investment in a startup company. You get a tax break. Uh, on the earnings that you make, even if that company turns into Uber or turns into Airbnb or turns into DoorDash, some really popular, thriving, huge mega company, you still get that initial tax break and you can pass that tax break on to your family. So follow me this, Mark. This is called legacy wealth. They're passing this tax break on to their children and their grandchildren. OK, that's the country we live in. So I don't I can't blame fully a group of people that are cut out of the economy. Black people couldn't get banks to lend to them, Mark. Uh, it, you know this better than I do in the 1970s and the 60s. Uh, that's what uh, redlining was all about. So to pretend as though, you know, to I, to pretend as though that it's completely something that you control, I think is self-destructive. I really do, and oh, that's why okay, I, kind of- I, I, I agree. With, I agree. I agree with that, man. I agree with that. But you know, we we live in like what we live in like in a what second gilded age, right? Uh, that's what the experts say. I don't forget who uh, Horatio, Horatio Alger. He had these stories. Horatio Alger stories, right? This whole th- th- that's nice, but it's like this: we had slaves in this country, slaves for hundreds. Well, well, hundred was. 246 years, 246 years we had slaves. That means you you had free labor. Think about capitalism. You're a capitalist, you want what? You want to pay your, your workers as little as possible. You can't get no better than zero, right? We had for zero for two for 246 years because we, then we, because when I talked about education, they're not going to teach you because the education system did not want people to think. We really don't. We want compliant goofballs, right? Compliant. I don't care how educated you are, you're still compliant. You don't want people to understand the, the labor laws, the child labor laws, the, the history of the unions. They don't want, I mean, I, mean, I, I'm not, I don't really pur- uh, purport like you do a socialist or a democratic so socialist utopia. <laughs> but people got to understand to get there, you have to understand the history of this country. And you're right. Part of our problem is, like I said, more of our problem is, is uh, racism and white supremacy. We know that, right? I, I get all of that, right? But in our lifetime, what, how could we try to make it a little bit better. It's a lot better. It's better in one respect than it was when I was a kid. Then again, it's not as good because of the income inequality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, income inequality is huge. Now, let, let me get to this next point. Uh, you said something. Uh, you were on a riff, and you said you were talking about the uh, that there were banks back in the days of segregation, and integration uh, led to the destruction of that. And, and black owned businesses. And this is something that's been on my mind for a long time. Uh, when I have so many conversations with people, I've hear that over and over again. In the old days of segregation, we actually had black owned businesses, et cetera, and so forth. And when we had integration happen, uh, things got worse. John Thompson, I urge everybody to read John Thompson's book. You go, wait, the basketball coach, you just died. Yes. Uh, I was given, the book was given to me as a gift by Frank and Frank, thank you very much for that book. And it was really one of the most eye opening books I've read all year. 
uh, Mark. Uh, John Thompson, the former coach at Georgetown, very honest man, and speaking from his heart. And he is a total capitalist. He's basically a Republican. I don't know if he votes Republican. It's very hard for any uh, black person in America today to vote for the Republican Party. But he's clearly uh, got that capitalist view. You know, he wants to make money. He wants to be treated like a white man in this country. In other words, it's it should be a meritocracy, uh, and he should gain the, the benefits of his talents, just like any other person, and not be limited by racism in this country. But he made the point, the same one you did. He said it. In some ways, we were better off as a people when it was when there was segregation. Now, I struggle with this because I believe in integration as a goal. But the reality is most people in this country, I know this, Mark, do not believe in integration. They don't want anything to do with the other race. That's the reality. Most white people. So go ahead. Your thoughts. Are black people better off? No, I agree with you. I agree, and I agree. With, see, you got John Thompson or Mark Sims. You got to figure out when were they born and where were they raised and how were they raised, right? Uh, John's got to be at least twenty years older than me. I'm, I'm the late John Thompson has to be at least twenty years older than me. So I understand. Twenty years older than you. Yeah, right. See, so I understand where he's coming from because I've heard those laments before from that generation. I sound like an old fogey from somebody who's twenty, thirty years old. I get it. Real, I mean, integration in the perfect sense would be, I mean, what I'm saying, like black-owned businesses, in a good way, with the things you had a black-owned business, the thing works, if it really works the way it's supposed to work, is that uh, we have an integrated crowd. We have a black-owned business, and other people come to our little restaurant in our neighborhood, if you will, and we go to their restaurant in their neighborhood, and the money circulates among everybody. Everybody freaking wins, right? That In a perfect world, that's what the, how that w- would be. But African-Americans, you know, it's a perfect example. I, I did Uber. Nothing against Chinese people. This is not a good time to talk about Chinese people in Chinatown. I love Chinatown. love Chinese people. But I was doing Uber. I took this Chinese family, uh, you know, family, if you will, from Chinatown to 83rd Street near my neighborhood, near my house, 83rd and, and near the expressway. They had a little Chinese restaurant. I don't even think about the place. I see it every day. Don't think about it. Little Chinese restaurant, 83rd Street from Chinatown. Which is fine. I love Chinese food, but I'm just, which is fine. But I don't see the flip reverse. Can we go to Chinatown and set up a black restaurant in Chinatown? And you go to our restaurants in your town. You go to my town. We go to each other's town. And the money circulates and everybody wins. In a perfect world, that's the way it w- would be. But we're not there yet. And we may not never be there because birds will feather flock together, which is understandable. Like, like you said, race was a big thing because, uh, you know, this is white country, blah, 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 blah. And over the next hundred years, it's not going to be a white country. And hopefully all these people of color can behave themselves and not fight each other. We'll see. We ha- hope we can stick around the hundred years, Ben. We can see this, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. First of all, I don't think I'll be around for another hundred years. And secondly, uh, I'm trying to be optimistic. That was one of my resolutions. I picked it up from Miles Conflassen. Uh coming into 2022. I will be more positive, but on the issue of race relations in this country, Mark, it's really hard for me to be positive. And, um, but the race thing is not, uh, the race thing is really a white for, listen, if I was a white man, I was watching, listening to conservative radio recently. I don't know why. Yeah, I understand. And it's bad. It's really I don't bad. know why. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why either. Yeah. The point is that I understand if you're a white man, it's like I was reading a glance. Through, I don't read like you, Ben. I glance through stuff because I have ADD, ADHD or something wrong with me. It was a part of Oregon. That's like good old boy, white boy, Oregon that wants mm-hmm. to wants to go to Idaho. They want to be part of Idaho or something like they that. Want to right? from the rest of Oregon. Yeah. Right? 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? You right, right, right. Going to right, Oregon, yeah, going to Idaho, and then of course you have the uh, everybody's been to the city of Atlanta at least once. I don't know if you've been there, being have you? I don't think you've been to Atlanta, right? Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, hold on. Let me think if I ever been even uh, I've never literally been in the city. I'm just trying to think if I've ever been on an airplane. You've been to the air, probably an airport. You probably transferred. I, I, I may have been. Yeah. I think I transferred once in Atlanta, so I can't say whatever. I've never been to Atlanta. Go you, ahead. you was in Jackson, Hartsfield. I get it. Hartsfield, Jackson. I get it. But the, the town, the section of Buckhead wants to succeed from the city of Atlanta. It's complicated. But, but the whole thing is that if you're a white man, I get it. I'm a white man. And my country ain't white like it used to be. And it ain't going to be white. And that scares the hell out of me because how do I fit in when I think I'm the man? And now I'm not going to be the man. I, I, I understand. I mean, I get it. It's scary to those people, man. So they, they're going to go down without a fight. Now, 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 let me go really far afield and, and discursive and go crazy. I would tell Elijah Muhammad, Elijah, Elijah Muhammad, the founder of Nation of Islam, messenger, messenger of God, okay? He said, Elijah Muhammad told his followers, as I remember, and I should be saying this stuff public. It may be public uh, on the internet. He said, there'll be no more white people in a thousand years. There'll be no more white people in a thousand years which is legitimate because you see the trend right now with the birth rates, okay? It's very plausible and probably going to happen, but we won't be around in a thousand years. But like I said earlier, what it means to be an African-American is always change, and it's changing, it's going to change, and our lives going to continue to change, so we may be even called African-Americans. These things change, even in our lifetime. The town of Chicago ain't like it was 50 years ago when I was a kid. Anybody remember, very few people remember when I was a kid, it got to be in the 70s, 80s, when they used to have the bright fluorescent lights in on State Street before Jane Byrne made it a mall and stuff, right? <laughs> it's a lot of stuff has changed. It's going to change. So change is hard. It's inevitable. So the good old white boys are not going to go down with a fight, but I'm sorry, it's over. It's over. We see the fight right now with the Latinos and the Black Caucus. It's a legitimate fight. I get it. Our population de decreasing and, you know, and they, they have, you know, children and they blossoming. You, know, you go into the Latino community, it's more, it's more bustling than our community. We are a people on decline, black folks, African-Americans in this town, which is, which is, that doesn't bother me. It's like, okay, we're going to shrink. I'm trying to get people, key black folks on my show, but I don't have a lot of listeners and that kind of stuff to say, what, okay, we're going to be a shrinking community. How are we going to be a thriving community all Although we're going to continue to shrink. But most folks don't want to deal with that because it's too hard for their little brains to handle because you have to accept the reality that we're going to shrink. But how can we thrive and be uh, vibrant as we shrink? That, that, that point you made about uh, competition between black uh, and Latino politicians in Chicago kind of underscores the point. Uh, so let's just, uh, let's just elaborate a little bit. Uh, right now in the Chicago City Council, they're redividing the political ward boundaries uh, as they do after every census. And there's a struggle between black and Latino aldermen uh, because over the number of black and Latino wards, I got that in quotes, uh, and it's just a strange notion. It's such a well, I would say it's such a Chicago notion, but it's really bigger than Chicago. But the notion is that uh, you need to put a majority of black people in a ward to guarantee that a black person is elected alderman. And conversely, you need to put a majority of Latino people in a ward to guarantee that a Latino person is elected a war, uh, alderman. And somehow or other, Mark Sims, if you're a Latino person, you're better suited or better served. If a Latino, this is the attitude of Chicagoans. If you have a Latino alderman, 
Okay. That's if I, and, and if you're a black person in the city of Chicago, you're better served if you have a, a black alderman. And as a student of Chicago politics, obsessively studying Chicago politics, at least since 1981, but I've also read before, I see no evidence, Mark Sims, that on a whole, <laughs> that that is the truth. Because the economic development, again, we started off talking about something like Black-owned banks. We started off talking about investment in communities. We started off talking about this. In the city of Chicago, the key central investment, the, the single greatest pot of discretionary income that the city of Chicago has to distribute to its communities, which is intended to benefit poor communities, goes to wealthy white communities. And the aldermen largely support it, be they black or Latino. So, Mark, you tell me. If the black guys, the white guys, and the Latino guys are dividing the pot so it benefits the white people, what difference does it make what color your alderman is? Mark Sims, answer that question. There was a time I, I used to want that. You know, I uh, Harold Washington, I can't remember the day. I think he ran for mayor in 77. Nobody paid attention. Then he ran in 83 to make a long story short and won. That was very, a very prideful time for black folks in this town. And anybody else who's a progressive. A liberal, if you will. But I'm beyond that. I was in my 20s when Harold Washington became mayor. But now I'm like, I'm cool. I mean, I, I have to accept the fact that demographic shifts are going to happen. There are neighborhoods that were once white, that went black, that are becoming slowly in bits and pieces Latino, mainly Mexican. We have to accept these realities. So I'm beyond just having a black mayor. Lori Lightfoot is not, who would have thought Lori Lightfoot would become mayor of this town? So she's not a black mayor in the traditional Harold Washington sense because the Harold Washington days is from a bygone era. So having a black face to represent you, most African-Americans should be beyond that. We really should be. And I think most of us are. But then again, <laughs> like Chewy Garcia running against mayor, you don't, you're not supposed to say this stuff publicly. But you say, listen here, black folks, I'm going to be a better mayor for you. I'm going to cut you Negroes in. I'll be better than you, for you than a Jewish mayor. It sounds nasty, but he would have won if he said that, if he articulated that in a very good way. I voted for Rahm Emanuel. I would have voted for Chewy Garcia if he just said, Mark, either to my face or some kind of way, like, hey, we, 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 you black folks going to get y'all cut? The Mexicans ain't going to take all the jobs and move you Negroes out? If he said something like that, I'd have said, cool, man. I'd have voted for Chewy Garcia. But that's, and, and that's just how it goes. The uh, oh my god, that's it sounds contradictory, but that's just how it goes. Let let me just give a shout out to the great Karen Lewis, uh, who was really one of the most fearless people I know when it came to saying things out loud that most people didn't talk about. But she came to the Hideout Show once, the old Hideout Show that McDumkey and I did, the legendary, the great McDumkey. He's already been mentioned like three times in this show, and uh, she was talking. This is in the right after the. Um, she had her uh, surgery, uh, and so she was on the mend, obviously, before the cancer came back. They ultimately killed her. Uh, but she was talking about the 2015 election, and she said it. She point blank said it, Mark, in front of a group full of people with the camera rolling. She said that uh, the reality, the sad reality, uh, is that um, uh, black people voted for Rahm Emanuel because of prejudice against uh, Mexicans. Mexican-American. Well, and prejudice in the sense that if Chewy Garcia, and I heard Karen Lewis, I think it's probably on the, in the computer now. You can go get that, hear that sound bite. It's on the computer because I heard a sound bite. What it is, is that's so much prejudice. People want to feel like 
you, you're not going to ruin me. You're not going to step all over me. You know, it's like, okay, we're going to have a Latino mayor in this town. We may have an East, uh, uh, how you can't say East Indian, what's the term? South Asian mayor, person of Indian descent. You have a, all kind of different mayors. Barack Obama said it. He said, some, I, I got to find that sound bite on C-SPAN, the, uh, the video bite. He said, there'll be somebody in Chicago, I mean, somebody's president of the United States, and you're not going to know what he is or what she is. Kamala Harris, she may not make it, but she's a perfect example. Mark Sims, where people see me, they don't see me as black. They don't see me as a Negro because of so many people of color here. They have to say, what type of Negro are you? They have to see my last, say, they see my last name or see me uh, speak. They say, okay, you're not Puerto Rican. Your name is Sims. I get it. So, but these things are complicated. We're all wrestling with this. And it's something we just have to just hopefully go along. But she, the point of like I said, the whole thing is it's like you got to reassure people. Like Harold Washington did, if you will. When Harold Washington is mayor, not all the jobs are going to, go to black people. Your wife is still going to have jobs. It's going to be okay. You know what I'm saying? Because everybody feels everybody feels a threat. You want to feel like, okay, you're not going to beat me up. You're not going to take my job or steal my girlfriend. You know, people want that reassurance. And you, okay, so we cool. We cool. All right, we cool. We can move on together. Uh, so it's something we just have to work out as a human race. And we have to because as Americans, we're going to have to work this out. I remember they thought when I was a kid, they thought Japan was going to take over the United States, going to surpass the United States, whatever. It didn't happen. But the Chinese thing is very possible. And so America, who worried about their country, you say, wow, the, if the Chinese really run the world, it dictates the, the world order, if you will. Hopefully we don't have to have a war. You know, you, you could be in America, but your country ain't going to be nothing what it is even now if, if, if the Chinese really dictate the way they, well, well we fear the way they, they dictate. But then again, all good civilizations, everything comes to an end. It's just something like you talking about mental health. Oh my, I would, I never had therapy then, but you can tell I really need it. <laughs> and we all need <laughs> therapy, man. We all need it. We need some help. Some of need us it. need to come to Jesus, but everybody, <laughs> everybody ain't coming to Jesus. So we got to get therapy. We all need it. Ladies and gentlemen, we all need it. Come on. Don't act like you don't need it. And people think oh, I, I need it. I'm just saying coming to Jesus. Maybe I don't, yeah. I mean, I don't uh, need to come to Jesus, but <laughs> therapy I do need. All right. Uh, so let's end the today's show on a positive note. We struggled to get the show going with technical difficulties at the outset, but then it was just like one riff after another. Uh, and I, I had a whole things I was going to talk to Mark about, but it all went out the window as it usually does when Mark and I get together. So Mark, you suggested I end the show with this. Uh, I began the show with this. So I'll end it with this. Uh, it's, the Bulls, my beloved Chicago Bulls are winning, and I know you're not a sports fan, but you uh, you mentioned this to me. You, Mark Sims, not a sports fan, mentioned to me that you're slowly, slowly feeling that little Bulls tug of pride uh, in you and that you're slowly. No, well, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. I, I am a sports fan, but not like Ben. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ben, you're an old. Can I say this with all due respect? You're an old school Jew. I love me some Ben Jarowski. He loves basketball and black people. I love it. He's just great, just the best. But see, my dad used to take us to all the sporting events here in Chicago, but hockey, because, you know, that's another thing. I saw one hockey game at the old stadium. It was a scrimmage game, which is pretty cool. But we didn't go to hockey. My dad didn't take us to a hockey game. Uh, that's back in the 70s now, right? Mm. But my dad used to take my family to the Bulls game. The old Chicago Stadium, yeah, which was a wonderful, and that place got loud. It rocked, boy. Yes. That place used to rock. And I'm talking about Norm Van Leer, who I met, you know, uh, uh, Jerry Sloan. I can't do all the bulls in my memory, you know. I can do it if I talk slow. 
the old Bulls, Bullwinkle, the whole nine, the old stadium. So we used to see the old games in the old stadium, which was so cool. But I love the whole nine. So I am a fan. But as I got way, older, you just named four out of the five starters for that old. Who's the fifth one that you haven't wait, named wait, yet? Wait, 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 wait. Let me see. Sloan, you did love. Okay, did love walk. Sloan, Van Winkle. Uh, Van Winkle, Borwinkle, and Van Leer. Okay. Yeah, Van Leer, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I miss somebody. But the point is yeah. that, that's back in the day. But the point is that, so I remember the old Bulls. And so, and you know, you, you think about the old Bulls. They were saying, and I saw Michael Jordan play in the old stadium, too. I get it. I never saw a Bulls game in the new stadium because when, last time you asked me, I gave me some, I gave you some lame excuse like I'm working, which I was, because I need money, right? But the point is that I go to the Bulls game when I quit being cheap, right? Uh, but yeah, I the, did invite you to the Bulls game. You did invite me. I, I had to go to work, man. I had my working class guy. I need money, man. Yeah. No, my problem. No, I had other issues. But the point is that I love the Bulls. I think, and and anybody was around with uh, with the old uh, Bulls won all, all the championships, which was fabulous for that generation, my generation too. I like like the same as the Bears and White Sox and all the other play. I hope that they win because a lot of people weren't around to see, or they were too little to remember the old Bulls. Michael Jordan's Bulls, if you will. Yeah. So it'd be so cool if they were, even they just won one. They may not win six like Jordan and whatnot and Scottie Pippen, but they just win one. You know what I'm saying? So I hope they can do it. I hope they can do it because, and I'm not going to get jacked up because I'm as I get older, I get more jaded. I'm still a White Sox fan, but not like I was in the 1980s. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm jaded and oh, I think it's a it's testosterone level. Either it's my testosterone levels or ED problem. I can't figure which one is really bringing me, bringing uh, me down. All right, but by the way, the bull that you uh, forgot you haven't mentioned of it and you started rattling off the names of the bulls this is the legendary late 1960s early 70s bulls teams of folks that were just good enough to break your heart they would win 50 games a year they'd bake it to the playoffs and then they would lose to the bucks or the lakers they just weren't good enough to win dick modern was a great coach they didn't have a bench they didn't have a bench that's all it was they didn't have a bench the fifth starter that you uh, have not mentioned i will now mention him the pride and joy of bradley university the pride and joy of the chicago bulls jet the Jet Walker at forward. How could you forget? I, 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 you know, I'm getting old and, and uh, ADD because I can't think and talk at the same time. No, uh, no, I, I saw I saw those players. It was fucking. I'm sorry, excuse me, curse. It was fabulous. It was, it was fabulous. But the point is that I remember when they, they used to play. They they played uh, uh, Rick Barry and the old Golden State Warriors. They were playing in the Cow Palace. Cow Palace is still there. There was so something was happening at the at the Oakland uh, Coliseum Arena, so which is still there. <laughs> but the point uh, that uh, they played in the Cow Palace, and I listened to the game on the radio, and it just broke your heart because they yeah. couldn't beat Rick Barry and the Golden State Warriors at the old Cow Palace in 1970s. Yeah. 1975, it broke my heart. Rick Barry, uh, Al Adels was the coach, uh, and uh, they had Clifford Ray, who had been a bull, was traded to Golden State. Uh, he was their center. And uh, uh, Keith Wilkes, uh, before he became Jamal Wilkes, he was there forward, and they beat my beloved Chicago, our beloved Chicago Bulls. Uh, but, you know, I say this now. I've gotten older and wiser, uh, Mark. And so I really, as much as I would enjoy the Bulls winning the championship, don't get me wrong, I would love it. And the celebration, just to have like a Bulls celebration like the Chicago Sky had would be great. But I, I just love – like last night when the Bulls won, just get me through that winter with exciting basketball. It's fun to watch. And I'm going to give a shout out to a Chicago and Alfonso McKinney. Uh, and I don't know if you saw the story I wrote about him. 
Mark, but this is a guy who grew up in Chicago, graduated from Marshall High School, and could not get a solid footing in the NBA. It was a cup of coffee here, a cup of coffee there, as they say, bounced around from one team to the other. Because of COVID, he got a chance to play in the Bulls. They needed to fill out the roster, and they signed him for the full season. And he's from the west side of Chicago. He's on the Chicago Bulls. And I just love the fact that Alfonso McKinney is on the Bulls. Uh, they got two, two. CPS grads on the Chicago Bulls. Did you know that, Mark? There's two Chicago public school graduates. I, I, I heard of one, but I can say I don't keep up. I don't have cable, so I'm I'm really out of out of the loop. But the point is that maybe when the Bulls, uh, maybe this year I'll get quit being cheap and go get cable. And watch the <laughs> well, maybe I'll I'll give you another chance. You, you you maybe I'll give you another chance and invite you to a game. But it's so much fun. Although, like I said, we're in the midst of COVID. It maybe wasn't the smartest thing in the world that I did last night. Uh, oh, no, so, no. Oh, wait, wait. COVID. No, like, you know how I am about COVID. That's another show. We had a show like that. I would not go to the Bulls game during COVID for me. Yeah, I don't okay. blame you. I should no, have gone last no, night. No, no, but you're cool because you're vaccinated. You're cool. But the point is that I hope the other pandemic took two years. I know it was fewer billions of people than it was, and you know, than it, than it is now, of course. But I hopefully uh, after by May, maybe April, we get below. I'm wishing we get below one percent infection rate, and uh, things start to normalize again. Yeah, I hope things start to normalize uh, as well. All right, Mark Sims, uh, stay healthy, stay well, and uh, have a great New Year's. I'll talk to you in 2022. We'll continue the conversation. I, again, it hit me when I uh, was talking to you this, this morning. You and I have been having conversations for almost 20 years. But That's you got a lot of friends, Ben. People got to stand, Ben. Jarofsky is the same person on the podcast as in real life. Ben, you are the man. Thank you. I love it. Thank I you. The, I love it when he goes, you are the man. Uh, I thought I was the only one who said that, but Mark Sims says as well. Mark Sims, wait a minute. Promote your show. Good God. Dennis would be so mad at me for not saying that. No, Promote no. your show. Wait, wait, wait. I've been striking. I haven't had a podcast for like a month. A, but the point is that it's a, it's a, just a few questions. Just a few questions. Mark Sims, Chicago. It pops right out. I'm going to have to buy a new computer because I'm thinking about maybe doing some video. That's why I had the suit on earlier to see what I look like in the resale. <laughs> got a suit from the resale shop for 10 bucks. I need, I got to lose some weight. Jesus, my goal is to get down 180 pounds this year. We'll see what happens. But the point is that I didn't mean, do some video. I didn't want to do video. I may start doing some video. Dennis got to show me how to do this Zoom and all this Google stuff because I got to interview some people via video so we go to the next level. And right, well, Okay, when you going to come back on the podcast? Well, for whenever you invite me. Uh, I don't think I've ever said no to you. All right, uh, Mark Sims, thank you very much. Uh, it's a pleasure uh, talking to you as always, and have a happy new year. I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton and Law, without whom this show would be possible. And as Mark Sims will tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for Demarvelous. Check out the uh, our end of the year show tomorrow. It is going to be sensational. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.